I just love when the sermon and the songs go together. I preach a song on tithing, and Mike leads, I surrender all. Nobody seemed too excited about that song. I didn't either. I didn't either, back about ten years ago. In fact, when I heard the lessons on money made me uptight, made me anxious, made me angry. And if you're that way this morning, I want to speak to you, so I hope you'll keep an open mind. Our theme in 2017 is light of life. It comes from John chapter 8, verse 12. And there Jesus says, whoever walks in me shall have the light of life. It's a beautiful picture because we understand it's not about us. It's about him shining in and through us. So this year as a congregation, if you're not familiar, we've been working together on these light of life projects. And we're going to be sharing a few pictures here and there. And I'm very excited to share with you this week's campaign uh, ministry picture comes from the soup kitchen. Uh, Here are James and Peggy Wilson. Uh, who are serving and uh, serving food. The soup kitchen is run by the College Christ Church of Christ. They've been doing that for a number of years, doing a great work at, with it. And uh, they serve a lot of people in their community, just offering a free meal on Mondays to anyone who needs it. Uh, we worked with them with the youth group, and, uh, and I'm excited to be partnering with them as a congregation. Uh, James and Peggy are very, you can, you can tell, they're focused on the task at hand. You had other people who were maybe... You know, like Sonny, a little, I don't know, just silly. Um, Sonny is, you know, a fun guy, and he's uh, having a lot of fun moving the chairs there. All sorts of work to do. Uh, the soup kitchen needs uh, not just hours, but they also need dollars. And uh, so if you've signed up for that, uh, plan to be participating this year. I know they've passed out the, the electronic sign-up sheet. Um, and if you haven't gotten involved with that or haven't signed up, but you have an interest, you feel like God's really called you to that, you can talk to Elroy or Marie. I'll have Elroy and Marie stand up. They're just right down down front here, and that way you know who they are. And so if you'd like more information about working with the soup kitchen and serving in that capacity, or maybe you have questions, talk to Elroy or Marie. Thank you guys for the work that you're doing and the work that you're going to continue to do. Sunday mornings, we are finishing today a series called Habit. And I'm talking about the five very simple things, simple but not easy things that we can do, the little things that make a a big difference in our journey and in our walk. Now, someone brought this to my attention this week, so I just want to go ahead and say, if you have are here just for today or, or for just any one of the single lessons, but you didn't hear the very first one about holiness... Uh, this is going to seem very works-based and maybe very legalistic. You need to understand this is not about earning our salvation. This is about those who are sanctified and justified and made holy by Christ. And because of what he's done, we can do these things that will allow our relationship to grow stronger and allow our involvement and our connection and our outreach in the church, his body, to be better. So if you heard any of the single lessons, but you didn't hear the first holiness lesson, I hope you'll go back to that and remember the importance of it. Uh, The last habit that we're going to talk about today, as I said, makes people nervous and uptight. Uh, I could not have sung that song. In fact, it was a couple of weeks ago that I was going through 
the box. You have a box like this? I, I don't know how you do your filing system, but I kind of have a system where I keep all my files and things that I need to hold on to in a file cabinet. And once a year, about tax time, I take all of the files from the, the year that's gone by and put them in a box just to keep to hold on to if I ever need them or whatever, especially the tax things. Well, I have about 10 of these boxes and not wanting to have an infinite number of boxes. I've come to the point where I take the oldest box and now what I do is I open it up and I take all the things from 10 years ago and I'll go through them. But most of it gets thrown away or put in the shredder. And a few weeks ago, I was going through the box from 2007. I was looking at the taxes, which told me what I made. It also told me what I gave. I, I looked at the doctor bills that we had and some of the health problems that we were dealing with at the time. I, I looked at bills from Discover Card and I looked at my checking statements and I thought, I was so foolish. I was such a bad steward with the money that God had given me. I looked at the retirement statements. I, I looked through all of those things and I looked back and I kind of winced at myself. I thought, oh, I just, I just didn't get it. I was really ashamed of my giving because I failed to understand what God was trying to do. And God has taught me a number of things about trusting him and what that means. I, I don't know if you have a box, but if you do, I hope the box from your past looks a lot worse than your life right now. Because if it does, that means something has happened. That means you've grown wiser, that you've learned to do things better, that you can put the past in the past. Our goal at Northside is to help everyone make their past seem a lot worse. In other words, to help you grow. When we talk about money, this is important. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You probably know it, but if you don't, go ahead and turn there. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and in all your ways acknowledge, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. It's easy for me to acknowledge God here at church. It's easy for me to acknowledge God when it's easy. But do I acknowledge God in my home? Do I acknowledge God at work? Do I acknowledge God with my friendships? Do I acknowledge God with how I spend my time? Do I acknowledge my trust in God with what I do with the money he's given me? I can say I trust him, but your wallet is where you really show. That's one of the ways in which you really show whether or not you do. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he said, he said, For where your treasure is, there shall your heart be. I don't know where your heart is, but when you look at the way in which you use the treasure that God's giving you, you can tell a lot about how much you trust him, about how much you really put your trust in him. 
So we're going to talk about money because it is connected to your heart and because the Bible speaks so many times about money. In fact, it's spoken of more than any other topic. Uh, over 800 verses by one count address the topic of money and stuff. Jesus knew it was intertwined with our heart. So I'm not sure why at church we get nervous when we start talking about money. If you're a guest, I want you to know this sermon is not directed at you. But I want you to know as Northside, we are intentional and purposeful about our stewardship. So when we talk about money, it's not because budgets or capital campaigns or anything of that nature. It's because we believe your treasure is connected to your heart and we want to help you become better in your trust of the Lord. In the Old Testament, we talk about tithing. In the Old Testament, the tithe was commanded. A tithe simply means 10%, 10% of your income. Now, they had other offerings that the Israelites could make as well, but that was something they had to do. It was a mandate. There was no choice. And that was a little bit of a problem because sometimes people would tithe and they missed out on the purpose entirely. Some people say, well, a tithe is not in the Old Testament. Technically not true. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says, you guys, you guys tithe on everything, even your spice rack. You come to that and you tithe. I mean, they were very serious about it. But you neglect the weightier matters. And he says there in, in, in that verse 23, you should have practiced the latter without neglect, uh, the former without neglecting the latter. Meaning, tithing was important and justice and mercy and these things that they were letting go of were also important. It, they were connected, you see. So you are going to ask the question. I know you're sitting there wondering this, so I'm just going to go ahead and address it. And the question is, you said you talked about the Israelites. Go ahead and advance the slide, guys. Um, do The question you are going to ask yourself is, do I have to tithe? A pause for effect. The answer is no. You do not have to. There is not a verse that I can point to under the New Covenant. And Jesus did talk about it. But there wasn't a point in, in the New Covenant where Jesus said, Thou shalt tithe. There, there's not that mandate and the command that was given to the Israelites. It's also not a salvation issue. You can never tithe your whole life and you can still go to heaven. What we're talking about this morning is a maturity issue. You see, 28-year-old Toby was a whole lot dumber than 38-year-old Toby. And some of you think, man, 38-year-old Toby can't even talk, but he's a preacher, and he's a whole lot dumber. Uh, he seems like, is, is he, was he worse? No. In understanding the tithe, we understand that it is not connected to our salvation. It's not a command. This is a growth. It's an opportunity, not an obligation. So then the next logical question is, should I give? 
And we believe, yes, the New Testament teaches that very much. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse two. Now, I'll be honest. This is you got to take this in context here. Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth. He's asking them to do a specific thing for a specific reason. But I do believe there are some principles we can learn from this verse. On the first day of every week, every, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Okay, so we can look at this verse, we can look at others in the New Testament, and we can say, man, we know that they gave. You say, well, uh, what principles does this teach us? Well, first of all, we, we believe that it's giving is something we should do individually, as a, as a family, each one of you. Okay, uh, We believe that giving is something that should be done intentionally, to set aside uh, we believe it should be done regularly on the first day of every week. So that's something that we do, the taking up the collection. That's something we bring into as a part of our worship. I know sometimes there's the phrase separate and apart from. But giving is connected to our worship. And we'll talk about that in just a second. And we believe it should be proportionally. Okay? It means in keeping with your income. As your income increases, you should grow as a giver. Giving is an opportunity to practically engage in kingdom work and to be Christ-like. You say, okay, you told me I didn't have to tithe, and you told me uh, that I should give. So the question is, how much? Well, you know, we, we're New Testament church. Let's go to the New Testament. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's see here. How... Did the early church give? Um, Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All right, sounds pretty good. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. All right, okay. So I know that tithing is not in there, but I guess we need to bring our um, land titles, car titles... Uh, the title to our home, any of that stuff. We could just all bring it next week. Um, we'll put it here in the middle. I'll have Bill do the auction, and uh, we'll just handle it, and then we'll take all the proceeds, and we'll give to anybody who has need. And all of a sudden, everybody in the church got real excited about tithing. Why? Because we understand something happened there. You see, when when God stopped mandating at 10%, he sort of took the lid off. And when you look at the New Testament church in Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 16, the, the, the church in Ephesus, these churches, their giving exploded in generosity because they realized what had been done for them. And where their treasure, their hope truly was, was not in this world. And so they didn't hold on to it so tightly. All right, so somewhere between, somewhere between 10% and complete sacrificial giving, you got to find a place. All right, how do we do this? Where to begin? First, we have to start by trusting God. Giving is the, the best and most honest form of saying, I trust you. If you think about this in the free marketplace, um, some people look at Acts chapter 2 and they go, oh, well, that's, that's why we should be socialists and communists. No, no, no. <laughs> that, that is forced giving at the point of a gun. You will give. I'm going to take from you and I'm going to distribute it. But 
When these people were giving, they were giving a free will offering. And when you give a free will offering, you're so showing in the most purest, honest sense that you trust that person. This is not just true in church. When you go to, I don't know, pick a restaurant. Let's say Chick-fil-A. When you go there tomorrow and you order the delicious chicken sandwich and the yummy waffle fries and you give them your money, what you are doing in that transaction is saying, I trust you. I think you provide a good product and a good service. And if they, if they keep earning your trust, they'll keep earning your dollars. Now, if we can understand that in the free market, then we can understand what it means to give. When you're giving to the Lord what you are saying, you see, there is so much more happening right here. Okay? When this plate comes down, or, or when you, they have the opportunity to give, and, and you pull out your phone and you give on the app or you do it online or you put something in the plate there is so much more happening in that moment that is so core to what you're doing you're saying to god you're telling him you're showing him how much you trust him my question is what attitude do you have turn to proverbs 3 9 and 10 Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 is this beautiful piece of wisdom from Solomon. He says, honor the Lord with, the first, with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, that's harder for us to get because not many of us are farmers anymore. But it was to take in the first of the harvest and to give that first harvest to God. I don't know if we're going to get any more harvest. I don't know how the harvest is going to be after that. But when you're taking that first harvest, you're giving it to him. You're saying in every way, I trust you, God. And and what does the scripture say? Verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, usually we get that flip-flopped. Usually we say, "Ah, you know, today, I can't do it today. I can't do it today. But I'm going to get a bonus. I know I'm going to get a bonus. I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to get a promotion. And then when I get the bonus, and then when I get the promotion, and then when I get all of that, then I'll put something in. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, that's not really the way it should work. He says, you got to trust first. Then the barns are overflowing. Then the vats are, are bursting. So keep that in mind to put God first is the best way to show that you trust him. You've probably heard the saying, you can't outgive God, which is so true. The reason that's true is because you can't outtrust God. You can't outgive God because you can't outtrust Him. Proverbs, uh, Psalm chapter 4 verse 5 says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Of course, the best known, the best known example of this trust is in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their their gifts into the offering boxes. Verse 2. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest. For they contributed out of their abundance. She, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You see, those two copper coins, as they hit the edge of the box and went in, 
barely made a sound. But God heard them. God listened. God knew that that widow was putting everything she had. And with the faith of a child, that old woman reached up and said, God, I trust you with it all. Now, that's her faith was probably way more than most of us, right? I mean, that's not just 10%. That's 100%. That's full-on trust. But God wants you to grow in your trust. When you trust God, He entrusts you. When he entrusts you, this is what happens. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. You're going to have to advance it for me, guys. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. One translation says it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use... It will be measured to you. Another way of saying this is, do you trust the Lord with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and your wallet? That's, that's where it's tied into. So we start by trusting God. Now, once you are at the level of trusting God, then... You get to move to a cool level. And again, it's not an obligation. It's just an opportunity. Because what happens then is you get to move to the level of testing God. Now, Malachi chapter 3, I understand, is in the Old Testament. It is one, however, of the very few times in the entirety of the book where God says, test me. And it's not like as parents of young children, they go, you test me. It is, test me. Test me in this. Now, the challenge was for them, is the same for us, is do they trust him enough to test him? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. And some people say, well, can I, can I take my tithe and give it to just all these good things? There's a concept here that you bring it into my house. Second Peter 2.5 says that the church is his house. So there's a level which we have to give at the church level so that we can do the work of the church. Over and above that, absolutely. But you have to be purposeful and intentional with his house. But he's talking here about the tithe and he says, thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hope of hosts, I will not open the windows if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you such a blessing until there is no more need. You see, at this level, when you are testing God, you get to see God defy math. How many of you in here, in your family, you are the numbers person? Raise your hand if you're the numbers person. Okay? Not enough numbers people in here, okay? I'm a numbers guy. I have the spreadsheet. I have the budget on a spreadsheet. I have all of that worked out. I have it, I mean, I follow it to the penny. Okay? Dave Ramsey calls this the nerd and the free spirit. 
Okay, you have someone in your household that cares about the numbers and you have someone in your household that doesn't or doesn't as much. They don't get so uptight about it. This level, this testing God level, it really challenges the nerds. Because the way we see it, if if I increase my giving with God, then I have to decrease in other areas. But see, the free spirits, they're running a little more by faith and they understand that if we trust God, he's going to entrust us. That's what I love about God. And so I want you to turn to a very interesting proverb, and we're going to talk about bumblebees. Proverbs chapter 11 says this. This is something that should drive all the nerds crazy. Proverbs 11, verse 24. One gives freely and yet grows all the richer. And another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Okay? This is the exact opposite of spreadsheet thinking. It is a, the, this simple idea that even if you just go the 10% level, you just start that very basic level, 90% of your income with God is always greater than 100% with you. Now, that does not make sense in Excel. But that makes perfect sense in an excellent faith, in an excelling faith. 90%, 70%, whatever level you choose, when you compound that with God, it's always going to be greater than you could do with 100% of yourself. I know it doesn't make sense. I realize it drives the nerds crazy. But you got to trust him. And when you trust him, then you'll be able to test him. Ask yourself this question. Well, the reason I put the bumblebee up there, okay? We got a lot of people who work in aircraft, a lot of smart people who know a lot of things about aerodynamics. Aerodynamically, the bumblebee should not be able to fly. Okay? Proportionately, if it was like at our size level, it would be like an elephant jumping off the ground, flapping its wings and taking off. It should not work. But don't try telling that to the bumblebee. They do it anyway. That's what God made them to do. And people who are natural givers understand that. And people who are growing in givers can get that too. It doesn't always make sense. That's why it's called faith. Because God can do more than we can. I've always liked this illustration. Imagine your hands. Let's stop imagining your hands. Just hold out your hands. Put them in front of you. Close them very tightly. Imagine your treasure in those hands and you're holding on to it. It's why you watch CNBC. It's why you check your accounts every day. It's why you pay attention to it. You hold on to it so tightly. Or now, I want you to open your hands. And you say, it's not that I don't want to be a good manager, but I know God's in control. I believe that even though I give, God's going to take care of us. And he does. My question to you is, between this and this, which one do you think God is more apt to pour his blessings into? Hands that are open. Hands that are ready to receive. All right. 
The point is this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You see, ten years ago, I was sowing sparingly because I was giving the money that he had given me to stupid things, to silly things. I was enslaved to car payments. I was enslaved to credit card payments. I was enslaved to so many things, and God wanted me to be free of that. He wanted me to have peace. He wanted me to be able to sow, as Paul says, bountifully. Because you'll also reap bountifully. You get what you harvest. What kind of harvest you got these days? Is it a bummerful harvest? Not sowing much, the harvest is pretty thin, not sure about the job situation, not sure about the income, wondering what the future holds. My guess is, my guess is, and I don't know anything about your checkbook, but my guess is you're sowing sparingly. But if you're having a bountiful harvest, my guess is that you're also sowing bountifully. So may we not forget this lesson. Verses 6 says, This principle, this is verse 6, but verse 7 and 8 says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency at all times, you may abound in every good work. So here's the challenge. Each of these lessons, we try to give you a little bit of a challenge And uh, that's what I'll give you this week. Next slide, guys. The habit number five is simply this, to grow in your giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, Just as you excel in everything, in speech, in life, in faith, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, see also that you excel in the grace of giving. Why? Because God needs it? (laughs) Because God needs your money. That's funny. Uh, Psalm 24, verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Um, If God needed your money, he would take it and leave a greasy spot where you were sitting. Okay? It's already his, okay? What he needs to change is you. He needs to change your attitude toward it. So here's a challenge. Um, How did you give in the last 90 days? I want you to think about it. It's a personal thing. Um, think about December 2016. You'll have to click it one time, guys. Uh, I'm not going to look at this. I, Greg and his team don't have anybody at the doors checking this. This is for you. I want you to ask yourself, how have you given in the last 90 days? You know, some of you, just to be very frank here, Uh, I know we don't believe in the Old Testament as far as obeying it, but when the plate comes by, we tend to observe the Passover. (laughs) In the last 90 days, if you've been observing the Passover, I just want to challenge you to stop observing the Passover and step into the law that gives freedom. And I want you to put something in. I'm not asking you to go all widow on me. I'm just saying put something in. Put something in that you've decided in your heart. Maybe you're at the leftover phase. Not the Passover phase, but the leftover phase. It's just like, yeah, the, the, oh, the, the place coming down. Oh, it's that time again, pull out your wall, pitch a verse, just put something in so the preacher sees it, you know. 
put something in. It's the leftovers. Well, that's not great because you haven't really purposed in your heart, but it's something. It's better than passing over. If you've been giving in the leftovers, I want to challenge you to give the first fruits. I want you to decide this Sunday what you're going to give next Sunday. Or if you get paid every two weeks, every month, you know, decide. Just decide. And when you get that paycheck, before saying, i got to go buy groceries, i got to go fill the gas tank up, I want you to decide first what you're going to do. Um, if you've been giving first fruits and you begin, be, begin intentionally deciding to give something, I want you to maybe to step into the testing God and start tithing. Again, it's not a have-to thing. It's just a trust thing, a maturity thing. Um, or if you've been tithing for a long time, maybe it's time to give an offering, do something extra. Uh, I don't know where, what level you're at. I want to challenge you to do one level above where you are for the next 90 days. Okay? To see what happens in the next 90 days in June 2017. So Northside believes that the more we trust God, the more he entrusts us. And Northside has a wonderful history of sacrificial giving. But we believe that that's part of the journey. And I don't preach this this morning to make any of you feel guilty or sad. I want you to know you're in a church that wants to help you. If you're saying, I'd love to give, but I'm just strapped. I'm living hand to mouth. You know, I would encourage you to sign up for the next financial piece. We want to help you. Come talk to me if you need personal financial counseling. I know some people who are good at that, and we'd be glad to help you. My question is, as we talk about the journey, have you started the journey this morning? Have you begun the journey with Christ? We said that giving was all about trusting. Jesus trusted God entirely. Uh, from age 12, when he was at the temple, when he, would, when he was in ministry and we drew from the crowd to go pray, even when he was in the garden and his closest friends abandoned him, he trusted God. In, the, in his last breath, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. From his first breath to his last, he trusted the Lord. And my question for you is, do you trust in him? Have you started the journey with Christ this morning? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to take a step forward. Literally, come down, meet us, come meet myself or one of our shepherds, and we want to help you to know Christ and to grow in Christ. Whatever your need is this morning, we want you to grow. And I hope that you'll be intentional about doing so. If we can help in any way, whether help you to know Christ or help you in your journey with him, please come forward and we'll help you and pray with you as together we stand and sing.